Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 140 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read a book that we haven't read for the first time. In this episode, we're going to be reading Hannibal by Thomas Harris, chapters 10 through 19. Did we have any housekeeping? Yeah. We did. Yeah. I don't recall it. Oh, you wouldn't. Damn. I just wanted to bring up um, Doug's face when I mentioned Georgia Lass from <laughs> Dead Like Me mm-hmm. and Georgia Machen from Hannibal because I always find that an amusing bit of wordplay, but I've talked about it so often that Doug finds it so tedious. So when mm-hmm. I use that as a jumping off point for whatever point I made last time, you just kind of like collapsed inside like, fuck, we're doing this again. <laughs> and that amused me and I wanted to bring it up because I did notice it. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I didn't... look, I apologize. I just, no, it doesn't, you don't need to. It doesn't if seem anything, like. I should apologize for being so like, do you get it? Do you get the wordplay of Lass and Machen? Oh my God, Brian Fuller's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing it again. It's so great. Uh, look, Do you understand the subtle intricacies between Lass? I'm glad you like and it. And <laughs> I'm glad you like it. It's it's good. Oh, it's but good. I want to know. I wanted you to know that you were seen. Oh. Good. Thank you. Uh, we were reading ten through nineteen, right? Because I didn't read any farther. Good. You shouldn't okay. have. You were not okay. supposed to. Okay, On the multiple occasions I reminded you. <laughs> Do you have any other housekeeping? No. No other All right. housekeeping. Let's jump right in, head first, into the show with chapter 10. Clarice meets Dr. Chilton's former fiance and former secretary. They're the same person. About how, I think. I, I, honestly, yeah. let's, let's no. start over. I don't know if she's, we're not really starting over. I just don't know if she was really a secretary. I just read through this quickly and couldn't really figure out what her position was but i think she was a secretary i mean chilton is so basic he would he would propose to a secretary and 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 secretaries are so basic that they would think a monster was as repulsive as his was charming right thanks a lot thomas harris you've set us back but clarice interviews this person who was both chilton's fiance and former secretary about how the good doctor handled his patient files and where they may be now that the Baltimore Hospital for the Criminally Insane has gone defunct and is due for demolition. I have an overview note, but I don't have any page notes if you have any. I've got, I've got quite a few notes, but I wanted to say before we go any further that, yes, we understand there's a huge difference in distinction and time gap between secretary and executive assistant. But Shilton is the kind of guy who would have had a secretary. So his words, not ours. I don't even remember what her actual title was. I just remember there's a point in this story where they reference the secretary's desk where you would have sat, I think is what the line is. Um, since I have a lot of pontificating, let's do your note last since it's an overall, or do you think you should do it first? Oh, no, no. I, if overall, no. Well, no, I'll do it first. Uh, okay. My overall note is Chilton had a fiance before going missing in a vacation he took without her. Oh, this poor woman. <laughs> I am assuming he was on vacation without her because... She would be dead if she had traveled with him. I I don't think that's why he didn't take her. I think he didn't take her because he was on the run. He was oh. scared. Hannibal Hannibal was out. And remember, had sent him a letter saying, I'm going <laughs> to fucking take out your ass for all the indignities and ignominies. That's a word I always want to say and can never do it. Anyways. I know that uh, ignominious is... A word that I think is conjugated slightly different than the one you chose. 
Sure. Yeah, it's definitely conjugated. Did, are you are you mocking my silent n? Did you did you did you just not hear the con, or did I rush through it? We'll never know. Well, perhaps not. Because either I'm right and an ass, or <laughs> you're right and I'm a double ass, <laughs> an ass ass. Okay, so I I missed the part where he was on the run, but I like it. I I like the idea better because it fits with this character more that he would just be so shitty to any woman. I'm assuming he was on the run because I believe Lecter did send him a threatening letter at the end of Silence of the Lambs. Right. And, uh, but I am, it is informed a lot by Chilton clearly being on the run at the end of the movie Silence of the Lambs. Yes. So. Which is, which is, you know, it's the last shot. It's, it's, right. it's iconically like, you know, what's happening next. Right. So, so I, I could easily be wrong there too. All right. Here's a quote. Starling's practice was to arrive early for meetings and observe the specific meeting point from a distance. And I was wondering, in my uh, obnoxious way, if this was a reference to Sun Tzu's The Art of War, where he has a quote, Whoever is first in the field and awaits the coming of the enemy will be fresh for the fight. Whoever is second in the field and has to hasten the battle will arrive exhausted. A la Custer. Yeah. Um, let's see here. There was a part where second, Thomas Harris dipped into the second person. I thought that was weird. Where he just all of a sudden, you might think. You have to wait. Bear with me now. I thought you'd have more notes. I don't. On this chapter? On any of these chapters? In this economy? I actually got the quote wrong, too. <laughs> you may labor under the misconception that all Protestants look alike. Not so. Just as one Caribbean person can often tell the specific island of another, Starling, raised by the Lutherans, looked at this woman and said to herself, Church of Christ, maybe a Nazarene at the outside. What about it? He switched to second person. Oh, right. Talking directly to the reader. You might think it was just, it was jarring. Hmm. Uh, Inel, the woman she interviewed, I think that was the secretary? Yes, the former secretary, former fiancé. Uh, it it amused me when she was like, to throw some, she lowered her voice, jism on us. Do you, Do you know, know what, what that is? is? <laughs> and I'm like, why, why did you, if you're being secretive and embarrassed by the word, why did you use that one? There are so many other more clinical and aloof words you could have used. You could easily come to a better ejaculation than that. I, I think the podcast is over. I think we're done. We're not going to top that. <laughs> You're so proud of yourself, as you should be. But I just, I, I again, I see you. <laughs> it's unsettling to know that uh, s- someone can. What's Clary say? Like someone can. Oh, that see I, so much I, of yourself without like. Oh, I don't remember. Um, it's a thing uh, she says the, about the understanding like, without caring or something. There was something she says to to like. Um, I think it's somebody, I, I don't know if it's in this chapter or the before where she's talking to either Barney or Crawford, where someone Crawford. says, where someone says something like, you know, how, how'd you feel about him or something? And she says something about like, no, I think, I think, I think I'm mixing things up, but there's, cause later she talks to Barney and he's, she's like, he was a person I had a very brief experience with in my life that, you know, Lecter that is. So she doesn't, it, it was a good, that line, I don't remember if I took a note on it, but whatever that line is, was a very insightful moment for me thinking about like. How she, uh, it's it's accurate. Like we, when I think about this character, she is so deeply tied to that other character 
but mm-hmm. I really like that Harris takes them a couple moments to be like, yeah, but I, like him able the ability to recognize that's how people see her, but then just be like, if you're thinking of this as a real person, like they had a brief, they had a brief, like it's like Monica Lewinsky. Those two people had a relatively brief interaction I- ex- period of time where their lives overlapped in close proximity, right. but will forever be associated with each other with each other. Yeah. And so I thought that was a really interesting like perspective. And I know I'm jumping ahead here, but and I don't know. I guess I don't know if I have a note on this, but just it brought this whatever we were saying before brought it to mind. Um, this idea that that's like, uh, uh, it's it's nice to have that uh, understanding of your character there. So that's kind of how I I I feel when uh, you said whatever you said that I've already forgotten. Back to semen. Back to semen. Starling's response was Miggs had a good arm. That amused yeah. me. Yeah. I'm sure he apparently he was well practiced. Yeah, it it was a motif. Um, okay, this okay. is a big one. Yes, I I did a little digging because I did not understand this phrase. Okay, and I got nowhere, but I found some interesting things. Starling watched Inel walk away like Hell's own option. Didn't understand what that meant. Right, Hell's own option. I googled it in quotes. Mostly references to Hannibal, people asking, what the hell does this mean? One other thing I found, which is a rage poem by a Nigerian, about the Nigerians negotiating with Boko, Boko Haram terrorists after they kidnapped the schoolgirls. Okay, this? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's called We Will Never Forget by Ina Akpen, 2015. This is the end of the first stanza. The lives you destroyed rise to judge you in your cohorts. A million wasted dreams signed your eternal damnation. The only pardon you truly deserve is hell's own option. Y'all ain't gotta make demands. Why don't you just pop off? And I'm like, I was fascinated by that, but that's all I could find. I don't so know is, what that phrase still means. Is hell's own option like a way of saying that you're damned? Maybe. I th- She walked away like hell's own option. I think so. Because she's depressed that she has no children anymore and Starling just, you know, stirred it all up. Yeah. Um... I think it's I, it's as close as I can come to it, but it, it just fascinated me. Mm. Interesting. It is interesting, and not just in that "let's move on" kind of way. I I don't I don't usually use it in such a way. I I, I <laughs> mm. it's it's only my own insecurities. Do you have any more notes in that chapter? Oh yes, I'm I do. listening. One more. Uh, thinking of style, this is Starling again. Thinking of style, she thought of Avel de Drumgo, who had plenty of it. With the thought, Starling badly wanted to get outside of herself again. And, like, she's just so longing to dissociate. It's, it's interesting to me. And perhaps foreshadowing. Gross. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that there was another point later on where Starling, was, maybe it was this point where Starling talks about upgrading her clothes. Like, when, when uh, Hannibal called her shoes cheap. Mm. Oh, shit, earlier. Yeah. Uh, they are whenever she was talking to Crawford about him. Yeah. She she, she referenced how he called his her shoes cheap. She had a little style, but her shoes are cheap. But she's since gotten better shoes. Yeah, and she's gotten a better car. Yeah. She's doing a little bit of flaunting. A little bit. Anything That's else? So I've got. Okay. That's it. Then uh, chapter eleven. Starling searches for Hannibal Lecter's files in the defunct Baltimore Hospital for the Criminally Insane. She finds the records incomplete with Miggs' file where Lecter's should be. And she finds Sammy. 
the inmate who took residence in Mig's cell after his death. Sammy lives in the abandoned hospital now with a woman. Starling took the files and left the lovers in their filth. Yep. That is what happened in this chapter. Do you have any notes? I actually do have a note. Okay. An note? A note. Or an oat. Page 89, do you have do you have none? I have lots. Oh, okay. Well, I have 89. Do you have do you have, okay. have page do you have page numbers? I don't know what 89 is. Oh Let's my just tell god. Me you know. I'm just going to do my note then so you can have the floor. <sighs> Will the senator yield the floor for a note? Uh my page 89. Just a thought to further support your notion, you're being Rob. Notion that the story takes takes place in 1995. I did some digging and discovered that the Macarena from Los del Rio spent 60 weeks in Billboard's Top 100 between September 1995 and August 1996. 14 of those weeks at number one. And being that the song is mentioned at least twice so far, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I think three times, but like this in this chapter it was mentioned here as a thing that cements Starling's experience uh, of the violent shootout with, uh, what's her name? Avelda. Avelda. That uh, that must have happened in those months. It must have, although I think we're going to have to amend our timeline to 96, because you said it started in September, and I believe the shootout was clearly in June. Or summertime. Well, there we go. 96. Unless we want to use some sort of... uh, alternate earth mandela effect world where the macarena came out a little earlier Mm, well the the one that was there were two versions but i think the one that's the most popular is the one that was in the the, that would make sense that would make sense i'm sure thomas harris was sick of hearing it and wanted to write that in yeah it's weird that you'd want to include something you were sick of but i get it oh because he was because he hated it and he he made an association of you know i understand but when i hate something i want to excise it from my life Mm. um and mm. and I don't want to like Camera. again. Yeah, I don't want to codify it in the middle of my uh, a book that w- I will that is like a work of my my craft. But that's just me. That's why I'm not Thomas Harris. Okay, have we fully appreciated the awfulness of Chilton keeping the picture of the mangled nurse in his wallet? Oh no, I don't think it occurred to me last time. You remember how he would pull that, whip that out? Um. Show it to people. Like, this is what Hannibal does to people. It was certainly referenced. It was, um, it was a scene in the movie, too. Yeah, I don't remember that exactly. But it's but just, it's just. I mean, this isn't a clipping from Ripley's Believe It or Not. This was a person he worked with, and he was keeping a photo of their mangled face in his wallet. And it's, I'm like, oh, you're an awful person. In case it hadn't been established. Chilton, bad guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh... There's so many of those little things I just, I, that I just, like, move past because I'm like, ugh. Blah. Okay, so, Starling, in this dungeon yeah. of the hospital, uh, calling out as if she has backup with her because she's mm-hmm. scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she calls out, uh, after a sounding professional, she ends it with, bust a cap in your ass. Mm-hmm. Is she trying to sound tough or is she unconsciously echoing Lecter? Oh. I think both. I mean, okay. it's either well, on no. I think she's trying to sound tough, and I think Thomas Harris, like the Macarena, probably hates that phrase. So he was trying to put it. In, I hate that phrase. Um, 
it always smacks of false bravado. Uh, bravado, well, but bravado of, itself is false. So, but of a but, yeah, false confidence, but also like false, um, like street credibility. Like it, it's just, mm. it feels like it feels like a thing that was introduced to culture through media caricature. Yeah, and and in that way, it was something that someone had heard or someone had seen or something. And then it became, it was like, oh, I like that. That sounds cool. That sounds urban. And so then you bring that in and then it becomes this like meme, I guess. It's like holding your gun sideways. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it just feels like a false. So bad for the wrists. It just seems like a bad, like a dumb thing. Yeah. It, it's like an affectation. It's a, it's a false, like, mm-hmm. uh, assumption of character. Mm-hmm. And that, anyway, so I, I I think he used it perfectly here, um, and I think even used it perfectly with Hannibal because I think Hannibal's intention was to be crass and like oh, vulgar absolutely. with it, but but it still like feels like a just a thing that should be avoided. Sh- shouldn't say that those words, mm-hmm. not for no other reason than they just sound dumb. Last note, I promise, and then we can move on to the next chapter. Where we'll have lots of notes. Okay. She wanted to go inside. She wanted to go in as we want to jump from balconies. The glint of the rail tempts us when we hear the approaching train. What? Thomas, see a therapist. You, you don't have that? I don't have the urge to die? <laughs> or, 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 or shove somebody? Or when you're on a balcony, you're just like, what if, man? What if? You don't feel that? that not, only, not only do I not feel that, but I question whether or not you felt it before reading this book. Oh, I felt it. Before reading this book, yes. when you first read this book, however many years ago that was, I understood it. Yes, but did you have? Did you entertain I, it's the not fantasy? Like, like I want to do that. It's just a, just this brief what if that flares in your mind. You're like ah, and you back off from the balcony a second. Like, why is part of my brain doing that? I think this is tomato sauce. I think this is you not understanding that the concept existed before reading this book, and then you thought, oh, I can watch this baby. No. Yes. I'm saying this is this is a this is a thing of human nature. I don't know about that. I think okay. it's a thing of human trauma, and I think that you've assumed Thomas Harris's trauma. Okay. And one day, when you push someone to their safety, you can thank him for it. You don't have those. No, I don't. I it's can't. Just rec- that what if? That's just that moment that in you your mean head, imagination. Like... Do I have? A... I'm not trying to be so cruel. I just mean like I don't understand when I read what you read, when I hear when I interpret what you read, I interpret an a thrill of fantasy, like a flight of fancy to do something yeah. that would hurt yourself. And I don't I mean, I don't think I really have those. I I can um, it's 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 just I don't know, my my I'm always constantly spinning out scenarios. Sure. That's this is how my brain spends time. And so when I'm in like a 30th floor building on a balcony and I look, I just that that scenario just spins and it's just it, it, it it's it's jarring. It's like, oh, crap. See, I have that, but only when it's um horrific shit that I wouldn't be indulging myself in. And that's the difference here. I feel like what he's describing is the the choice to jump off a building, the choice to jump off a bridge or whatever he says. When I think of things like like I have had many of these flashes of horrific imagination mm-hmm. of things like my uh like 
a cougar jumping over my back fence while I'm out walking my dogs and, and having to pretend like, okay, what do I, how do I protect them and myself while also like making sure that they don't try to run out and, and fight this cougar. And then in my imagination, it instantly turns into one of my dogs doing that and then being mauled by this, by this cat. And then I have this shock of horror at imagining my, my dog being mauled by a, by a beast. And I have that, but I don't have the part where it's like, where it comes from more like an impulse place. Yes, it's not. It's not a place where it's like, oh, I'm gonna. Wa- what hap- What would happen if I just walked in front of this bus? Um, it, it's nothing like that. Oh no, I see. I feel like I've always had that. Interesting. But again, I have no desire to do that. I'm not looking forward to it. It's just like a weird. Hey, but it, no. But it, I'm like, but the shut way up, brain. the way you're describing the thing that Thomas Harris writes, it sounds like he. The idea is, it is sort of like. Well, that's why I'm not, he's not, I, I'm saying, he's, I'll try it again. He's using that language to convey the strength of the thought that shows up. I don't think he thinks anybody wants to do those things. Hmm. He's using wanted to like, she wanted to like that. So she doesn't want to, but that impulse occurs. Okay. Because he does say she wants to, she's describing going into a thing that she doesn't actually want to do. Yeah, like, like she hear it like this. Let me, let me, let me, let me try to add some inflection. She wanted to go inside. Yeah, wanted to go in like we want to jump from balconies. Like I need a hole in the head. There you go. You got it. But that's not how you were originally describing it. That's how I meant to describe it. Well, I, okay, I interpreted the way you, you were describing it as. Again, like this indulgence in fantasies of self-harm. No, 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 Like, like a thought that shows up in your brain that you're a little wary of. See, I think now that we've talked through it, I think of it more like she wanted to go in that into that room like you would want to jump over a, a off a bridge, which is to say you fucking wouldn't. You would avoid something that's dangerous. Because obviously you wouldn't want to do that. I think he no, because I think he's trying to add an allure to it, like the allure of a fish hook to a marlin. Hmm. Or except they don't know what that is. Like, I, 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 I think I hear what you're saying. Like you're attracted yeah. to something that's bad for you. Yes. Um. The difference here being that she knows this is bad for her. Right. Right. That's why. She wants to know the mystery, but she also doesn't want to go inside. But there's a little part of her that does. That's all he's trying to acknowledge. That little kernel of. I guess that's the part that I'm missing is the, the idea of like it being something she actually does want to do. Th- this dangerous thing she's thrilled of. Like, hmm. like I think about with this character, like how she was, she does this a lot or, or in our experiences with her, where she walks down those stairs into James Gum's dungeon and uh, doesn't want to. Because right. it is a dangerous thing to do. Right. But she does it anyway because that's the nature of bravery. That's how I think about what he's describing with her. Hmm. Is not so much that she's excited about like uh, doing doing a, a thing she's not supposed to do. But you, 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 I, I must not be getting it. But you keep making it the whole emotion she's feeling, where I'm mm-hmm. saying it's like a little spike in a like like a like a seasoning. She, of course, her the main gumbo of her mind is, I don't want to go down there. But there is a pinch of, but what if I did? 
Can you read the line again, just for sure. the sake of reminding? She wanted to go inside. She wanted to go in as we want to jump from balconies, as the glint of the rail tempts us when we hear the approaching train. Maybe it's just a thing you don't have. That's okay. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like I must not have this. And uh, I'm clearly at, at not. least, at least in this, the example he chooses, mm. the idea of jumping over onto a train track specifically is not something I want. I am very familiar with the idea of wanting to climb fences and get into areas you're not supposed to get into if on the other side is something fun. Oh, no, but this, like, is, this is completely not even I don't this, think the same ballpark. This is like, oh, this is like a guy who wants to jump over the safety railings at the Grand Canyons. Right. It's, yeah, I don't have that. But not even want to. It's just, what if I did? That's but but that what what is uh what is so tempting about what if I did? I think that's the thing that keeps that is sticking to me. Is he uses the word tempt. That word isn't there for no reason. You know you're not going to do it. It's experience you can't have, or if you had it, you would only have it once and you would have no more experiences. Mm. But it's the only way like you're just like thinking through that experience. Does that make sense? The like, temptation I could go over I could go over to the snack shop and buy a churro. I could or I could not. That option will be open to me forever as long as I'm in this area. I could go over the railing once. Mm-hmm. I can I can comprehend the 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 singularity of the opportunity. I there can't you go. I can't appreciate the temptation. That's the part that holds me back. Is the the, the part even, that uh, I don't I feel like temptation is wrong, but it's also right. It, it, I can't explain it more than that. It's just what he used. That's the problem. I know. I know. Like, and I it's perfect for way what he's conveying, but you're just not picking it up. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> hey i look i i'm comfortable with the concept that there are the there are bad audience members um what what like oh, i not for be, us i could no for me like i i'm being a bad no, reader you're not you're just not you're not on the same wavelength that's all no, it is. no no you're not, you're, not, you're not being bad you just can't do it <laughs> you're not bad doug you just want to you're just live. a failure um all right Next. All right, I, I'm done. We're done with that chapter. Okay. So we're on chapter 12? Yes. Clarice tracks down Barney, and after an enlightening conversation that calls into question Barney's morality and mental stability, Clarice obtains Lecter's records and x-rays from the former orderly. So this is actually a really, like, poetic chapter, I would say, like, where there's mm. lots of lots of uh, stuff happens that we get to experience and see about barney as a as a person Mm -hmm. but um and it's again it's more enlightening than his experience his exposure in the last book uh barney has stolen a lot of lector's uh personal possessions and has been auctioning them off on the black market or whatever market uh to get to profit off of his uh, opportunity to do so right uh starlings figured all that out and is holding him to account for it and uh they have some conversations where it certainly seems like Barney's mind has been a little bit poisoned by Lecter's influence. Yes. And that I would think be the that, thesis of the chapter, I would think. And I think that that's, um, uh, that's, that's my, my overall note is we see so much more of Barney in this chapter than ever before. He's kind, smart, and seems to have been harmfully influenced by his exposure to lecture lector. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's, 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 that's my final note, but we can, we can, let's, we can bring that up now. My final note is Barney eating the pigeon, saying he's going to eat the dead pigeon he found, uh, is the first real inkling we've had of Hannibal infecting the mind of someone he talks to, mm-hmm. which it became a kind of the point of the show. 
mm-hmm. that idea um, and is explored in this book. And I, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. Other interesting moments in this chapter. When the van with handicapped plates passed by, Starling was aware that the occupants were looking at her, but the afflicted are often horny, as they have every right to be. Yeah, it's... It was weird. Yeah, but is this... You mentioned this just now, and perhaps it's worth calling this into point now. Despite her limited exposure, how much is Starling affected by Hannibal? I think must be a part of this book. Mm -hmm. And given his, like penchant for vulgarities when he wants to insult someone uh like we saw in his letter to her earlier in the book is she adopting that or is that something she had in in the last book i don't really recall that kind of cruelty from her i would i would call that cruelty this concept that you know it feels mockery-ish to say that of the handicapped Uh, there's yeah okay i you know what i don't think i thought of it as coming from starling but it obviously is now that you've said that I think it was just Thomas Harris being weird, but um, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's mockery or it's a kind of judgment. Yeah, but it's an unsavory judgment. It, oh, it's absolutely it, unsavory. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It, 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 it is, it is, oh, of course they're horny because they're handicapped. I can yes, yes, exactly. It, yeah. Exactly. That. It's that, it's that There's air no, of superiority that comes yes. from the just acknowledge, like stating something so, so uh, dispassionate. Or not dispassionate. It's not dispassionate. That's not it. It's it's uh, disc- it's discourteous. It is discourteous. But it's that kind of Hannah Hannah Balian. Sure. Um, I'm better than you. Attitude. There is sort of that that like insult in there. Yeah. So, I, but she's done that a couple of times mm-hmm. in this book. I don't recall it as deeply. I recall her being frustrated with people in the other book, but I don't recall that that evolution of her character as much and i don't want to read too much into that and, and and project too much here but it certainly feels like it's there it definitely feels like it's there um there's a line that amused me because i had to think about it the waiter yelled in hindi to the cook who handled the meat with long tongs and a guilty expression gross <laughs> well just um clearly a vegetarian who didn't want to be cooking meat it, it amused me I enjoyed the roller pigeon analogy. That's what you. That's what you took from it. I took that the meat was bad. Oh no! I I, I totally thought it was about cooking meat that you didn't want to be cooking. Gotcha. Which long tongs, like staying away from it. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and the roller pigeon analogy. Forget the roller pigeon. Um, they breed roller pigeons to do this like oh, right, turnover. Oh, right, right, the low divers, right. Right, the, the deep rollers and the shallow rollers. Right. And you can't breed two deep rollers because the bird will crash into the ground. And Starling is a deep roller. Let's hope one of her parents was not. Right. That's good. Will she go too far? All right. All right, uh, chapter 13. Starling reflects on her struggles with FBI politics, specifically with being impeded by superiors jealous of her success when with captioning with regard to capturing james gum she finally has an office in behavioral science but at the cost of her dignity that's pretty yeah. much it she, yeah she, i have no notes i just called it at the office yeah this one is just about her and crendle is that i think i, I keep not Krindler. writing his name crendler it's her uh experience with crendler who keeps holding her back because of, as according to this chapter at one point he propositioned her and she 
made it very clear to him that she was not interested in a, in by by recording their conversations in a way that he understood she was recording them mm-hmm. and he hung up and has held it against her ever since. He's also held it against her that she got the Buffalo Bill. Right. He held both cuz he was in the last book. Yes, he was. So yeah, he's just kind of a a weak person. He's yeah. he's her Chilton, really. Yeah. I think I'm just realizing that now. I mean, it's obvious, but I've just put it into those words. He is her Chilton. Uh, do you have any more notes in that chapter? Nope. All right, then chapter 14. Mason jarred into plotting. We learned Mason... <clears throat> Mason jarred. Don't make me acknowledge that. Um, <laughs> we learned Mason's contacts in the Justice Department are not limited to, but do include Kren- Krendler, uh, the man responsible for holding back Starling's career. Through his contacts, Mason confirmed the six-fingered x-ray belongs to Lecter. Feeling like he's closer to catching the Doctor than he has been in years, Mason turns his attention to Europe. That's it. That's it. That's, I mean, these chapters get kind of brief here going this, this way. But, uh, okay, next one. Because I assume that means you have no notes? Yep, correct. Okay. Uh, chapter 15. Pig Bites Man. Mason reflects fondly on his paternity... And details the specific hog breeds he crossbred into the pigs that will eat Hannibal Lecter. It, it's it's if you haven't read this chapter, it's really just him going, "Oh, I like this pig for this, and I like this pig for this, and this other pig's ooh, it's so good, such a pig." And at the end, it's just like, "Oh, after seven years of breeding and seven litters, the results are amazing." <laughs> Still been in your Mason voice. That's uh, yeah. That's sorry. <laughs> Uh, the th- yeah, you know the it. thing about the Mason voice is that, well, like, for me, it's so much not to bring this up again. But there's a, there are specific South Park characters who have voices similar to that. It's like that. It's the South Park version of Judd Crandall. Crandall. The oh, uh, Judd Crandall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Sometimes dead is better. It, it's like it's like ah, uh, <laughs> Ma, go go pick up the pigs from downstairs. It's like or some I don't know like you yeah you're to, right you're right and you have it's to got a little bit of that the, like um transatlantic Catherine Hepburn sound to it you gotta test the pig with a knife doctor yeah as far as it goes in that's how deep the fat is it's it's something like that it's something yeah, yeah. in there anyway do you have any notes in chapter fifteen no then chapter sixteen man those Sardinians were packed into bed like anchovies. Uh, Mason calls a few guys and commands them to set up Hannibal's murder in Italy. That's it. It's just showing us the status of the quality of men Mason has at his disposal, which are apparently lechers. It's another uh, cluster of chapters that could kind of have been one chapter because each are showing the same idea from different angles. Basically, Mason's plot for revenge. All the different moving parts each get their own chapter. Right. Yep. And that brings us to... Florence. Florence. Part 2, Florence. And chapter 17. First, let's just hang on Florence for a second. Aw. Because that symbol yeah, that uh, adorns the Florence page and is also on the cover of the book... Yeah. It's actually a Milanese symbol. Okay. So it's a... It's a Bichon or Bichonne, uh, the the snake eating or sometimes giving birth to a boy. Um, yeah, it's a it's a, a viscount symbol 
from uh, f- from from Milan, but uh, <laughs> they're using it for Florence. Uh, go figure. That's it. Was that it? Was it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can be like, oh, that's interesting. Thank you, um, Rob. Can you help me understand the significance of your note? That I think it's a a, a you snake. You think it's a mistake? Eating, no, a snake eating a person. So it's apropos for Hannibal. Oh, okay, but in your in the difference between it not being Florentine but rather Milanese is they're two different cities. What what are you doing here? Where, where where's the Florence symbol? So that's that's what you're that's your or this should have taken place in Milan, not Florence. That's your complaint. Okay, that's not a complaint. It's just an observation. Oh, you're whining, good sir. <laughs> I'm not whining. <laughs> I'm not an enophile. It does sort of it looks more dragon like to me, but I can accept that this is how Italian sea snakes. That's funny. Is it? Yeah, what you said is funny. You looked like you, looked like you were abashed and awaiting uh, censure, but uh, I was amused. You guys have any plans to go to Italy? Not anytime soon. Well, we were we were talking about it today. <gasps> and we were talking about it in uh, with specific reference to, do you think the <laughs> would want to go to Italy together? Well, I'm going to bring that up to my wife now. After I bleep out my name. Yes, please. Please don't include it. <laughs> this shouldn't be included. But, oh, why not? Well, because it's, wor- it's not worth talking about in the show. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, we were talking about, like, we haven't been out of the country together ever. And no pressure, obviously. R- really, seriously, no, no pressure. Because this isn't even something we've decided we're going to do on any period of time. We have not sure, picked no, a time. I understand. But um, the idea would be it would sure, certainly be nice to go with people we like spending time with, but also go with people who've been to a place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and have done international travel before and may know things we just simply don't. That's exciting now. <laughs> well, that's that's just a simple. It has to happen. <laughs> well, as long as we can go to Florence and Venice and Venezia. And Venezia. uh Tuscany. Well, it's a region, but yes. I want to go to the city of Tuscany, Rob. Don't you understand? The city of Tuscany. Will be in Tuscany. No, I want to go to Tuscany. We can go to San Angelo Scalo. I'll 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 We've buy myself there. I'll buy myself a Raiders jersey. <laughs> and I'll I'll turn to look at everyone all the time and go, Wow, uh, can you believe it? A Raider in Tuscany. <laughs> You might, you might, you know, you could call me. Do you know? You could call me a tourist. Because that's what I'm doing here. I'm a tourist. Leaving this all in. Gold. Gold, I tell you. Anyway, back to Florencia. Uh, um, all right, that brings us to chapter 17. All right. This chapter introduces us to invent. All right. I have to apologize. I wrote, I wrote investigator pizza every time. <laughs> this chapter introduces us to investigator pizza of Italian law enforcement. We learn he's tracked Hannibal to Florence and he reminisces about how he had once caught another serial killer who plagued Florence for a decade or two named Il Monstro. Monstro. Oh, it's not monstro. It's mostro. It it means monster, the monster. But there's, there's no, no in that there's word. There's no in mostro. 
Il mostro. You know, I think I'm thinking about the whale from Pinocchio. Yeah, which is just a anglicized, probably version of the same thing. I'll try to re- to redact my mistake. Well, you already you already uh, doubling down with Inspector Pizza. So sure seems convenient that Il Mostro uh, was inactive for a period of time, similar to when Hannibal was locked up in Baltimore. But that's none of my business. Um. All right. I have an overall note for this chapter. Do you know about Il Mostro? No. Real. Real. It's real. Real dude. Real. Wow, that's horrifying. Uh, it is. It is a depressing ass Wikipedia article. Um, it is exaggerated a little bit here, because I believe the last he really killed couples. I really killed that uh that German homosexual couple by accident. It seems. The last murder I could find was technically eighty five and not through the nineties, like the book implies. So, because they they want to make it a little longer for Inspector Pazzi to, you know, P- be pizza. part of it. Yeah, um, more on that in a second. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 a real case. Wow, it's I think today still unsolved. They had a they had a couple guys, just kind of like in the book, um, but. I think ultimately, we. Don't, in fact, even as of last year, there was a journalist who was saying it was one dude who, one way or another, has been exonerated, but that journalist is still going after him. And I think as of 2021, the guy is suing the journalist. So for, about this trip to Italy. Mostro. Okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was really just a thought, right? I mean, we weren't really committed and you know anybody tickets or anything. As long as you're not a couple that's necking in a car somewhere, you're fine. But that's my favorite thing to do in Italy. Oh, no. Is to be a couple. And again, uh, Last Murder was 85, so you're probably good. Yeah, that's famously like, you know, Golden State killer. He was not still around after he stopped killing. And most of the horrific things that this killer did to these poor, poor people was done after he killed them with a gun. So it's going to be quick. Don't worry about it. Cool. Um, do you have any more notes? <laughs> yes. Um, Inspector Pazzi of the Pazzi. Pizza. Uh, that was, there was really that family who tried to assassinate the Medici and were killed horrifically. That's a whole thing. Um, but also... And I think because of events later in the book, Hannibal chose, or wow, <laughs> uh, Harris chose that name um, for those reasons. But it is interesting to me that uh, Pazza and Pazzo are Italian for crazy. And the plural of the masculine is Pazzi. Cool. So, Spectre Crazy. Or Inspector Crazies, technically. My dad went to a doctor once. Uh, we were on vacation. He had to go to the hospital. And he was waiting for his appointment. And he was looking at his paper. And he goes, with the doctor's name on it. And he goes, that can't be the guy's name. And I'm like, eight. So I'm like, I'm not paying attention. And then they announced over the loudspeaker. Uh, they call my dad's name. And they said, paging patient for Dr. Crazy. Dr. Crazy. And I was just like, <laughs> what? You can see his face, folks. 
No. <laughs> that can't be real. No, Daddy, and, don't go. And then we went and saw Dr. Crazy, and it, it was pretty uh, boring. It was it was not as advertised. Um. Okay. Any other notes? No. Uh, my overall note for this chapter is I'm having a hard time following along with the action in this chapter because there's just a lot of unfamiliar Italian jargon. Mm. Uh, that's not a criticism of the author. It, it Like you were kind of, I think, suggesting uh, Thomas Harris clearly has done a, a book's worth of research to flesh out these characters in this world and justify them and give them this depth. Um there was something else I felt like he must have researched exhaustively either in the last book or earlier in this book where he just wrote, writes about it. Pigs. That's what it is. Mm. I was thinking about how much research he would have to have done into the history of swining in this country um, or in the world where he was talking about like the thing that the, the Haitian thing where they, they slaughtered. They, they, the Americans insisted that all the pigs in Haiti were uh, sick, were diseased, and so they yeah. must be exterminated. And then also that op- opens them up to afford to sell only American pigs to Haiti, which could not survive in Haiti. And the, so they sold them multiple times to Haiti before ha- the Haitians finally like brought in was it Cuban pigs? I think so. Um, something like, something more native that could survive again. Right. Um, but meanwhile, Mason had made the, the the story goes in this book that Mason had made like four times the sale price on these pigs that kept dying. Um, and that's part of how he they enriched themselves or the vergers, I should say. I don't think Mason did it himself. I think it was his father. But regardless, it was like that that chapter there was like, wow, Thomas Harris really learned about pigging. He sure did. He sure did. But I mean, I, I he seems like the kind of person he's like, I want to have a character eaten alive. How would I do that? What's the most likely animal? Like, am I, I'm not going to get lions or tigers. So, what can I get? Pigs? Can I? Could I breed them to do that? And and then he goes, you know, down a rabbit hole. Sure. Um. I, and that's. I'm not trying to criticize it. I'm saying. That oh no. This, this uh. This seems to me like the. The commitment of a man who wants to make a believable world and his to sort of sacrifice space in his brain to learned the realities of these things so that he can convey a real like a reality Mm -hmm. in his fiction and i think he succeeds with with these with this stuff i believe that mason all those i I believe it's so well written i believe that's the history of of pigs no absolutely i believe that just 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 from the way he writes it and that's not doesn't that's not good for me i should really read about pigs (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, man. You you got some trauma from reading about elephants. <laughs> Do you have any more notes in that chapter? Do I have any more notes on that chapter? Chapter 17? No. Chapter 18. Turns out there wasn't enough evidence to convict Pizza's monstro, and the criminal was released. Shame followed the Italian investigator. You can't rush justice. What are you, Potsy? Yeah, sometimes you have to let pizza sit and cool before you eat it. It's better. It's better for the pizza. Any notes? I'm just saying. I'm just going to reiterate. It's better. The pizza's better, and it's better for the pizza if you let it sit before eating it right out of the oven. Nope. I don't have any more notes. (laughs) Nor, Nor do I. Okay. 
Chapter 19. The pizza man observes Hannibal going under the pseudonym Dr. Fell to secure a highly regarded curatorship. Hannibal displays his aptitude for Italian art history, but also tips Pizza Man to his identity with his stillness, his tiny teeth, and the scar on his left hand. Do not text Dr. Fell on pre-Renaissance Florence. Do not text? Text. Do you, um, do you know the uh, possible origin of uh, this name? Which name? Dr. Fell. Oh, no. There's a epigram from 1680 by satirical English poet Tom Brown. The anecdote associated with the origin, per Wikipedia, is that when Brown was a student at Christchurch, Oxford, he was caught doing mischief. The college dean, John Fell, uh, had expelled Brown, but offered to take him back if he passed a test. If Brown could make an extempore translation of the 32nd epigram of Mart, 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 Marshall, Martel, his expulsion would be canceled. The epigram in Latin is as followed. I'm not going to read it because it's Latin. Um, little translation of which I do not like you, Sabidius, nor can I say why. This much I can say, I do not like you. So <laughs> this Tom Brown guy wrote... I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. The reason why, I cannot tell. But this I know and know full well. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. So it was Dr. Seuss. Yeah. In 1680. Uh, and it, I, I would not be surprised if... Uh, well, I was going to say if if Hannibal picked that name to be clever, but I think it's Thomas Harris picking the name because I believe there was a Dr. Fell that disappeared. Oh, really? Well, I think they say so in this. They do. Oh, no, Some, the other guy went... You're right. Somebody, no, yeah, you're well, right. I did it. You're right. Hannibal just chose the name and created an identity. You're so smart, Doug. There was another guy that disappeared, though. That Hannibal yes, that's took what the I was position getting, for. That's what I was getting confused. Mm, yes. I'm so dull. I cut myself. Ouch. Well, I don't have any more notes. Do you? I don't have any more notes either. Do you have any new words? I have no new words. I feel like there were a number of words in this ch- in this section that I ignored looking up because I was like, well, because uh, it's hard for me to determine if a word is new or just Italian. And <laughs> and those words have been around forever. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you that Renascimento is Renaissance. Oh, interesting. I think I butchered it, though. So apologies. That was chapter 19, right? Mm-hmm. The Uffizi. That's, that's an awesome museum. Oh. Where you can see, like, Caravaggio's uh, Medusa. Caravaggio. I had an excellent cappuccino on the top of the Uffizi. But then again, I also waited five Uffizi. hours in line to get in. Really? Yeah. But we did. We waited, we, we waited with an audiobook, and we had a earpiece in each ear, and we just did that. And then you have the Academia, where David is. So about visiting Italy. <laughs> you don't say. I do. Um, anyway, okay, so uh, next time we'll be reading mm. chapter 20 through chapter 36. Wow, This that's is going to be a hefty, hefty section. Mm-hmm. But I think we can 
Nay, must do it. I mean, is it extra long or is it just extra chaptery? It's a little extra long. It's about, nice. um, it's basically 90 pages as opposed to the requisite 70. Mostly because chapter 36 itself is about 14 pages. And I felt like perhaps that would be a good way to end it rather than. I think so. Instead of a little rather, chapter where we have no notes. Yeah. Like, a, a, or, or same, like, do you want to start with a really big chapter or end with a, anyway. So I was just like, yeah. you know what? If we push forward with my math done this way, it would put us at, I think, five more episodes. And we're in proper Europe now. We're in we're in Italy. No more of this dingy basements of places we've seen before. We're in fucking Florence, man. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Ooh, we could go could we could we go to Pompeii? It's lovely. I've climbed Vesuvius itself. Can we can we go to the to the the place where they where they filmed Don't Torture a Duckling? Probably. <laughs> a lot of Tuscany looks like that. <laughs> I just remember No ducklings that. were harmed in the making of Don't Torture a Duckling. <laughs> I just remember watching that movie with you guys and it was just like this is I don't think anybody expected this. <laughs> no. None of us really knew what we were getting into, and it was not <laughs> very good. But also, whoa! I don't know. Weird. I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. You like Jello, though. You, I you do. Have... I do. I like those Jello movies. It's it because they're basically just uh, CSI Trash. episodes. Oh yes, yes, they are basically that. They're they're Italian. Yeah, they are. They're just Italian. Like, like I thought it was gonna be way gorier. Me too. And, and I thought it was going to be way more cruel with that cover, but like, it was yeah, just, it's it was, it's just it's just a it's a boring, Law and Order episode. It's like boring crime with boobs. That's the but best I way like I can boring describe. crimes with boobs. I know, and you are entitled to. Well, anyway, I think that, that was, I'm entitled. That's I the takeaway. <laughs> like like a horny handicapped person that you are, you are entitled to want to want. Bad crime, drama, and boobs. Well, I I feel uh, a little more naked on this podcast than in <laughs> episodes past. Do you feel bitter? I I I just it's <sighs> to have someone understand you but not have your best interests at heart. That's uh, it's a weird feeling. <laughs> You'll get used to it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what that means. But, um... <laughs> All right. Ominous. Well, let's let's put a, a pin in this one. That was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. fucked it up. So Cotton Fugue, how apropos. There it is. That's not Cotton Fugue. What are you thinking? 
There it is. That's for that's for Elise. I know what it is, Rob. Well, why did you play the wrong thing? I did the other one first. Was it Haunted Mansion? I didn't know you had talents. I don't. What are you talking about? Well, how long has that been going on? Going. What's going on? Yeah, okay. Okay. And help me understand how to answer your question. You can play the piano. I like cannot. I cannot. I just watched you. I cannot. I cannot. See, Rob, what I do mm-hmm. is I uh, I don't play the piano. What I do <laughs> is I have... Uh, 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 uh. What you do do. What I have is... Mad skills? The No, the, the limited capacity, limited capacity to have a song melody and then be able to whittle it out on a, a keyboard. I can, like, I don't, I'm probably missing a lot of notes in these things I'm doing that are, you know, important. They, they had too many notes. They had too many notes. There's only so many notes a man can hear in one evening. Or certainly his ear. Yeah. You are Cativo, Courtmeister. This is oh, absurd. Water, 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 water. What? I just... I'm like, are you Ferris Bueller? <laughs> Water, still bring it back. Water, still bring it <laughs> That's for this that's for Star Wars. You throw a laser in there. Mm-hmm. I can I can do it as a dog barking too. See, I didn't do it right. I messed it up. Doesn't mean you're not a musical genius. <laughs> That's funnier for some reason. <laughs> you're a Barak master. I haven't tried this one in a while. What's this sound like? What is that piece? That's that's a uh, Toccata and Fugue. Mm. I think is it not? I forget what it is. I, I think it it's could part be, of. I mean, there's so much. There's so many Toccata. I always feel like fugues. it's. I feel like it's part of. Uh, I think so. Is it not? Well, Rob? there's like the famous Toccata and Fugue that I know. Then I think there's probably four or five other songs. Isn't there like that a? Banner, isn't so. there like a, a a Fugue in G or something? Is that what I'm remembering? Maybe. Maybe. Well, we're gonna find out. You. Okay. Um, because there's Toccata and Fugue, and then there's. Oh God! Well, no one's finishes sentences. I told you there was a billion of them. None of those parts. Perhaps none of this sound. Yeah, uh, I'm right there. That's fugue in G by Bach. Oh, by Bach. It's not. It's not Toccata. Toccata's all like. Toccata's crazy, but fugue in G. But it's the one that starts out. It's the same piece they use in like all the cartoons for something spooky. T- Toccata and Fugue is the one that starts Dracula. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Should I play some of that for you? Please. I don't remember how it started. I would have to. I'd have to. Well, that's almost not right at all. I'm, I'm not sure any of those. I think you invented some notes to get that wrong. Hunting for ghosts in Dana Barrett's apartment. Well, I don't know the notes, so I have to hear the. I have to find them. Um, now I'm not going to do it. Thanks a lot, Rob. Good. Now, now you hear surf sounds. Oh, I'm so calm all of a sudden. <laughs> do you have a seagull? No, I have a vibraphone. I have a. I have six. I could do this though. Bermuda, Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take ya. <laughs> I'm a regular Wesley Willis. Mm-hmm. G. it's one of my favorite Bachs. So your favorite fugues? Yeah. It's a minor fugue. I prefer the fugue state to the nanny state. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. Hey! You'll learn to like the nanny state, and you'll learn to like it. So the answer is, like all musical instruments I own, I don't know how to play them. <laughs> but I, uh... I like I like to to uh, noodle fiddle. Mm. It's a more musical word. You fiddle with your noodle and you noodle with your fiddle. Yeah, I like to fiddle, and then every time that I fiddle, worse than I thought. Cool. Every time I fiddle, I look at it and I go, "Man, I don't know how to do this." That's okay, <laughs> but buddy. I, but I end up like every Christmas, I end up uh, breaking out some sort of instrument and sitting around for like, um, you know, like a let's say three hours and just noodling out christmas songs like just so i can hear them myself and then it that's it that's what happens because the radio is just not going to cut it for you there's something fun there's something like magical in my mind of a person playing christmas music at christmas like there's like Mm -hmm. that element of caroling that is like you are creating the music you're not just you're not just hearing it. You're doing the thing. You're doing that thing. You're an active um, participant in Christmas. Right. Um. Right? Yeah. Um. So, it's, uh, that's what I, that's what I like to do in Christmas times. And I, okay. I, I sit there with, like, I sit there horribly mutilating these melodies until I can kind of get it to a point where I can do it in one straight shot, and then I forget how to do it, and then the next year after, <laughs> you, I'm you to do lose it again. all interest until the next time. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. I think that's correct. Um, go ahead. 
give me a Christmas song that isn't some sort of weird fucking Muppet song. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Where the River Meets the Sea. I don't know that one. It's a Muppet's Car Christmas I song. I knew it would be. <laughs> um, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Oh, goodness. I don't know that one very well. Um, probably starts with C. You know, most of these songs, most of these songs start with C. Fuck you, I did it. <laughs> I heard some notes, but I picked I picked the least memorable tune that I could think of. How about a nice deck the halls? Doesn't sound like deck the halls to me. That was that was still baby it's cold outside. I was just going uh, to the we next moved on. Okay, moving to deck the halls. Okay, so deck the halls probably starts with G. There you go. You go too fast. You go too fast. That is my uh the uh uh <laughs> the lamest party trick. Hey everyone, I could smash keys for randomly until I think it sounds like a thing. You know what I think the lamest party trick actually is? What? Self-deprecation. Well, I don't know another way to be. You want to do a podcast? I guess. Now that we're done with uh, our musical interlude, yeah, music. Or I guess that would be like the uh, overture. This was more like I, I think this is. You can have an entre oct if you want. I think of this more what we just what we just experienced. Wait, what? I'm not trying to wait you. I'm trying to wait, wait. me. Like a weighted if blanket. An, if you have an overture and you have an intermission, which one's the entre oct? I don't know what an entre oct is. They it so you know those old movies where they have like five minutes of black or pictures of curtains that they're about to pull and they just play music. Yeah, they have it in Oklahoma. Sure, and they do it in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those is an entre-act, and I don't remember which one. If it's in the middle or if it's at the beginning. Or if it sounds like, like it's saying after act is what it's. It sounds like you're trying to describe. See, something. I thought it was like inter, like e n t r entre. Like entrevue. Oh, like the int. In, okay, like beginning. Um, like starting. Yeah. Maybe that is what it is. Um, I'm just gonna look it up because it's bugging me. New between word the acts. Oh. Is German it just synonymous for interlude? Zweischenspiel. In Italian is intermezzo. Well, if it was intermezzo, if I knew it was intermezzo. Oh, if it was intermezzo, you would have gotten it. <laughs> between the acts. Ah. It can mean a pause between two parts of a stage production synonymous to an intermission. Okay. It is more often in English indicates a piece of music performed between acts of a theatrical, theatrical production. Okay. Well, now we know. I must have seen it in some movie. Maybe it was like uh, Hello, Dolly. or Not Hello, Dolly. What's the other one? Now it gets mixed up with Hello, Dolly. Uh, why can't the English learn how to speak? Come on, what was it called? Uh, My Fair Lady. Thank you. Uh, maybe it was in that. When instead of an intermission, they put entre acts. I it sounded fancier. So the thing about Bach is that apparently he uh, tutored Mozart. No, he didn't. He did tutor Mozart. You, 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 it's not true. You're making shit up. And 
he was a contemporary of Beethoven. I'm 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 good. Oh, what Mozart learned from Bach from Cambridge University. Didn't Bach and Mozart meet? Said Quora. <laughs> Fuck you, Cambridge. I'm going to Quora. <laughs> so this says Johann Sebastian Bach died in Leipzig six years before Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was born. But I saw the internet told me otherwise recently. Well, Bach did have a son who was also named Bach. Oh. How trite. The nearest Mozart was of the late Johann Sebastian was when he visited Leipzig in 1789 and walked into the church and school where J.S. Bach once worked. The authorities had the chorus sing one of Bach's motets. Singet dem Herren, ein neues Leid. I didn't know I was going into German there. I thought it was Latin, so apologies. And he was so impressed that he asked to see them score a party. He said, this is different. This is something one, one can learn of. So in Mozart's head, he probably, because he was such a genius, created a uh, figment of Bach to teach him things. Like like a... Uh, a construct. Like a holodeck Bach. Yeah, like a like, holodeck Bach. Like of course, Mo- because, again, Mozart's brain, Bach would, you know, gain sentience and then try to take over his brain. Of course he would. Until Mozart has to come up with a, a brain within a brain for Bach to take over, and then he'll put that in the back of his brain. Or his mind palace, if you will. Well, I, I saw, I was looking up these these uh, old bewigged quacks um, sure. yesterday, and there was somebody that was like, oh yes, he did Chucha Mozart. And I forget who it was. Remember, I went with Quora, not Cambridge, so I got the well-actually part of the internet. So I could easily be wrong. Okay, I'm going with the Johann Sebastian Bach, whose mm. uh, lifetime period extends between March of 1685 to July of 1750. Oh yes, they would have been well. Hmm? Yes, they, he did. Hmm. You're, you're correct. Your 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 times were correct. Well, then who was the one that was friendly with him? There's another one of those like it was not the one you're thinking of from the movie. Uh. What? What movie am I thinking? What? Who's talking about movie? What the fuck are you talking about? Someone cuted Mozart, and uh, besides his father, Leopold. Yes, and it was a uh, a, a person. Ah, perhaps it was. Yes, I think this may have been what I misunderstood. It wasn't um, Berliatz, was it? Fuck that dude. No, it was much, much better than I don't that. Know who that um, is. I know it's a name. I I wish I remembered the people in the movie that Mozart says. No, I don't like him. Um, oh. Yeah. There's a couple of those guys where he just shits on them, and then Salieri's like, play Salieri. And oh, Mozart's like, a challenge. Oh, ch- yeah. <laughs> um, I love that you had an English accent to Tom Hulse. I have to. Although, oh my god. <sighs> Please let it be German. <laughs> Why German? One of my nerdy fantasies, it's about to get moist in here. Yes. Uh, if I could time travel, I would definitely go back in time to watch Tim Curry and Ian McKellen do Mozart on stage, or Amadeus on stage. Interesting. That would be amazing. Um, That would be pretty cool. I think it was Haydn. 
They even fart backwards. Uh, Hayden, um, yeah, I think that's, I that's think, the, hmm. no, I'm thinking of Handel. Um, I've heard of Hayden. I don't know. I couldn't name Hayden off the top of my head. Maybe, um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, you know, he's, I think this is the guy I was thinking of there, but I'm not going to read his entire Wikipedia here. Um, but his Wikipedia is, is dense with references to Mozart and, and Beethoven. Mm. So, well, they both have H's in their name, so that should make you feel better. Bach and Hayden, or Haydn. See, I would think I would if I was time traveling and I was going to try to experience something Mozartian, I would go see a performance of his. Sure, fine, but I mean, it's going to stink to high heaven because those people didn't wash. Ah, oh, here it is. This is—it's exactly what it is. Here, Franz Joseph Haydn. He was a friend and mentor of Mozart, a tutor of Beethoven. Because Beethoven came after Mozart? That feels right. Yes. Because Beethoven's period outfits always seem a lot more staid and boring. Less wiggy. Yeah, less wiggy. Um, Austrian But there composer. I'm just going on the costume design of Amadeus versus the costume design of Immortal Beloved. So that shows you how I approach history. Austrian composer of the classical period. I'm going to do another Google real quick, since we're spending so much good t- quality time here. Mm. Hey, man. It's your dime. I've already set up coffee and made scones for my family. Oh, wow. Well, I already watched two episodes of Celebrity Jeopardy and drank tea. I guess you're the winner. I don't know what the... I don't know what the... I don't know how to weigh these things against each other. I'm just saying I also did that. Well, I don't have a, a great example of Haydn. You can hear Mozart in there. Oh, absolutely. Like... I was gonna, not to be too obnoxious, but it's it was reminiscent of Mozart's Rondo in D. Indeed, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with. Or I'm a fan of, which was used in the Walter Matthau film Hopscotch, wherein Walter Matthau plays an aging spy having wacky misadventures leading the CIA and Americus chase across Europe, including Austria, to the Nonberg Abbey, where I visited because of that movie. I, uh, similarly, <laughs> I recently watched the t- not-too-week-old epi- Valentine's Day episode of... Wait, it was after Valentine's Day, wasn't it? An episode of South Park, wherein oh. they, they address the, the Queen's death, and it begins with uh, Mozart's Requiem <laughs> playing, oh. and, and then it later is revisited at the end when they basically replay the same sequence. Not... Similar to Haydn, though. No, but similar to knowing... To my nerdery. To knowing where a thing was from and the thing that I literally watched the first time last night. That's how good my memory is, Rob. It's so good. I can recall... Can you remember three words, one of which are camera? No. Oh, okay. Well, then you've passed the presidential... Or you failed the presidential cognition test. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was man, woman, person camera wasn't that something like that something, something fucking very... ridiculous <laughs> oh god oh god i'm sorry i'm sorry i did not mean to bring you down remember you had scone or you had tea i just and, i had and... forgotten about that abysmal there were so many moments that were so each many. each time was like scaling a new peak of embarrassment and shame mm-hmm. and and like like with most good trauma i scraped it from my memory 
Only the, only the scars remain. The the speci- specificities do not. But n- now that you brought up that, it it just shocked me back like a fucking Vietnam flashback. Oh, I'm of, sorry. Of just like, ugh, ugh. He yeah. <laughs> Didn't I did not mean to make you go full dare hunter? It just yeah, that's what it was. It was man, woman, person, camera, or some shit like that, and. So embarrassing. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was gonna say I can I can remember things that happened not but sixteen hours ago, and then you have to pull out the presidential he- mental health exam, <laughs> which, to be fair, knowing Trump was definitely administered by a doctor. Do you think that that exam was like it was actually like one of those you know those uh those piles of like cards that flip and rotate around that you use for like uh fourth graders i think so yeah it was just like that but for kindergartner kids oh yeah no it was definitely sesame street in nature we should we should do a podcast all about um words that come from other languages that we adopt as english words okay like kindergarten that's the one that made me think of it. Um, there's sure. pl- plenty of them that we use constantly that are like, oh, no, that's not even English. That's just straight up using the word from another language. Like, fuck. Concierge. Concierge is a good one. Sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, fu- fucking is a good one. Apparently, it's a Danish word. Is it a Danish word the same way that uh, Bach knew Mozart? It's a Danish word in the sense that because of my impressive memory... I can recall watching a video recently where someone asked Mads Mikkelsen to translate a series of English words into to Dutch, and one of the words was fucking, and he just says fucking, and the person goes, oh, really? The fucking is, is, is fucking in Danish? And he goes, it's a Danish word. Yeah, okay, so that sounds like he's pulling a check off. I, did, I didn't say there was a gun. <laughs> no, Chekhov's phaser. <laughs> What's what's pulling a checkoff mean? Every everything is Russian. Like oh, oh, Hamlet was originally Russian, and perhaps this thing but, was originally Russian. And, but it's also and possibly uh, Danish. Uh, I've been making my kid watch a lot of Star Trek lately. We started with the J.J. Abrams movie, where she immediately was a big fan of Chekhov, and yes. then she even likes Walter Koenig's Chekhov. And I haven't had the heart to tell her what happened to. Uh, Anton Brelson? Anton. Anton. I forget his last name. I know. I, I knew it, too, until I wanted to say it, and it left, left me. But I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yelton. And, and, Yelchin. Yelchin. I think it's Anton Yelchin. Yes, I There's believe. There's a ch in there somewhere, and I don't think it's in the first name. Yes. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. Well, don't let her watch Thoroughbreds. Maybe I'll let her just watch Friday Night. She likes David Tennant. Maybe you should just watch real Star Trek. I'm so we, we, we watch that too. Yeah. Sure, man. Will Wheaton was on the Celebrity Jeopardy I watched this morning. Oh, yeah? Yep. How do you do? He won the... Damn straight the he did. The one that I was watching. I don't remember. I haven't watched any further, but he won the one I was watching. Who was he, who was he uh, celebrating against? Uh, a woman from a show I don't know and sure. Hassan Minaj. Yeah. 
you said Hassan Minaj, and my brain for the longest time wanted to hear Hassan Bonanza. Okay, well, that's not and on it, me. No, no, I it was just it was just I'm like I'm like no, you can't even make that work. Stop it. But but I that part of my brain's been way too long trying to fit that in. It was interesting to me. Cuz of course Dan Blocker, who was a kindergarten teacher, died like in the 70s. Because you mentioned kindergarten earlier. We can move on. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. <laughs>